0: Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to a new series of the Faith Roots podcast. And this month we're talking about living in three dimensions. I'm having a little fun with it, calling it me, myself, and I. Maybe it'll help you to remember it. But we're talking about the way that God made us to live in three totally different dimensions. And by the way, I want to encourage you to be sure to like us on this podcast. If you do that, it'll help us to get more play out there with our audience. And another thing you can do is just to tell somebody. And if you haven't already signed up for the free email that comes right along with this lesson, we put it out every single morning, uh, you can go to myfaithroots.com. Let me just say that again. It's not faithroots.com. It's myfaithroots.com. And you can go there and you can sign up for the podcast and we'll get it to you. Our text for this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. We may jump around a little bit and pick another text later, but for now we're going to go with this one. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The King James says holy, meaning there ain't no more. Uh, completely means this is all there is to you. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I asked one of my theology teachers one time, I said, would you say that man is spirit, soul, and body? He said, I'd say much, much more. Well, I would agree with that to some extent because the soul is multifaceted. It is more than just uh, the header of the word soul. There's some other things to put in there. Uh, but but really, in essence, we are created in the image and the likeness of God who exists in three personalities. And although we don't have three personalities, we operate in three dimensions, spirit, soul, and body. And you can see it in the book of Genesis. You can see it in the book of Daniel. And certainly Paul talks about it here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. God created man to live in these three distinct dim- uh, dimensions. And uh, the first one is spiritual. That's the first dimension that's mentioned. God says, uh, Jesus actually said it in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship Him, and can I say that worship is a connection with God? Now that's not all that it is, but it certainly is a connection with God. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So in other words, it says that we connect with God through the spirit. You couldn't worship God if you didn't have a spirit. So it is because you are a spirit being that you can worship God. You were created to have fellowship with Him. Can't imagine God creating someone to have fellowship with that He did not give them the same level of communication that he himself operates on. I didn't say that we're on God's level, but we have to be in the same dimension as God to be able to communicate with him. And that's the spirit dimension. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So <clears throat> if God is spirit then spiritual beings are not wispy, ethereal, less than real forms. And a lot of people have that idea that spiritual things are fuzzy, hazy, but it's a very real and a very distinct world. Now, it may seem a little bit ethereal and fuzzy to us because we're so wrapped up with this world that we have a very difficult time seeing into the spirit world. Um, You know, one of the things I've learned about white-tailed deer is how much their eyes are adjusted to uh, the nighttime. They can really see. Uh, For instance, a full moon, they see that as daylight. And it's because they have an amazing number of rod cells. We, on the other hand, as human beings, we have an amazing number of uh, of cone cells. And our cone cells allows us to see all these subtle little nuances in color that uh, say a deer cannot see. So he's got better low light vision than we do, but we've got better daytime and color vision than he does. And that's why, uh, for instance, a man could wear, or a woman either, uh, could wear hunter orange to the field. And the deer doesn't see it because the deer's eyes can't pick up the difference between green and that hunter orange. Those two things are... Uh, uh, very similar in the way that he sees the color spectrum. Now, don't ask me how they found that out, but they must know that. So the point I want to make is that, that God is real, and spiritual things are very real. And while they may be hazy to us, it's not because they're not real or not very genuine. They are very powerful. In fact, They're even more real than the world that we live in because this world, the material world that we know and function in, was created by God who is a spirit from the spirit world. So spirit world came before the natural world. Now, what we also see is that people's identities, human identities, are so very real that even after we die... Uh, We are recognizable. And I'm going to read to you a story that Jesus told to his followers out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man. I don't believe this was a parable. I think it was a true story because he used the word certain. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate and desired to be fed. "...with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom." Now this was a part of the earth in the underworld where there was no torment. It was also called paradise and it's where people went before Christ died on the cross and where he, before he was raised from the dead. This rich man also died and was buried. There's no mention of a great funeral for the, the beggar, but there is a mention of a funeral for the rich man and you know it had to be grand. Uh, the Bible says the rich man hath many friends. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and and and, and bosom means God, he's wrapped up. He's under the care of Abraham. So it's a a very descriptive word, and uh, meaning that the covenant God made with Abraham is the basis of righteousness for all who came between Abraham and Christ, and really even those who came before Abraham. God looked forward to Abraham to be the one whose covenant would cover those who would trust in him before Christ. All right, now, he cried out and he said, "'Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame.'" So he was able to recognize Abraham, and he was able to recognize the beggar. So he still had his identity. So his faculties were intact. His spirit and his soul together existed there. And so the only thing that did not exist in that other realm was his physical body, and it was on the surface of the earth waiting to be dealt with at a later time. But the Bible teaches that we are beings who will know each other in the next life. Paul said this, And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about the next life. He said, Then shall I know even as also I am known. In other words, he said, Just as God knows me and knows me very well, and people on that other side, they know us. The Bible says we're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12. So these people recognize us, they know us, (coughs) and in the next life, we're going to know them. We'll see them and know them. Now, For this reason, God came, or Jesus came, to deal with the most important part of man, the part of man that needs to be fixed, and it is the spirit of man. Now, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, and 21, 22, 23, Jesus said, "...what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart..." Of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, that means stingy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Jesus said that it is from the heart that people are messed up. But man's heart was wrong because he was cut off from the life source. His spirit was cut off from God in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And that's why they had no life, and that's why there's this death coming out of their spirit. And all these horrible things, murders, evil thoughts, adultery, all of that stuff that's coming up out of the heart here in the Gospel of Mark, according to Jesus, this stuff comes because the heart was cut off from God. And you can see the first manifestation of a heart cut off from God because when Adam sinned, In the Garden of Eden. He immediately had a new emotion and a new heart attitude he hadn't had before. They didn't know. And the Bible says in Genesis 3, 9 and 10, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And that's not an accusation. It's not a threat. It's not scary. It's not God angry. It doesn't say God raised his voice. Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we got a problem. We got a problem that the heart of man has totally changed. And it changed when Adam sinned. And the first manifestation is fear. And uh, fear is the mother, it is the parent of all the other bad things. People murder because they hate, and they hate because they fear. And so fear produces all of these other things. People are stingy. Why? They're fearful. They're fearful they're not going to have enough. So they're stingy and they are willing to cheat others uh, to get what they want because they are afraid and Satan has manipulated their fears and their hearts are all wrong. These hearts are pumping out these negative attitudes. So you got to be changed. So Jesus comes right to the heart of the matter. Here's what Jesus said. To Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Meaning you're blind. You can't see spiritual things until you're born again. You know, I tried to read my Bible. Before I became a believer in Christ, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. But the moment, I'm I'm talking about within a couple of days of when I received Christ and went home and opened up my Bible, I was blown away at things that made sense to me, that I could see that before I could not understand. Now, Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus, to whom Jesus said, you must be born again, he asked this question, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now this tells us how natural people think. He's thinking only in terms of natural birth, and he's asking this ridiculous question, am I going to go back into my mother's womb to be born again? How do we do that? It never dawned on him that Jesus was talking about new birth in another dimension, So Jesus answers, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen to this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He said, so the body you got from your mother is your physical body, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I'm telling you that when you're born again, you are born again in your spirit. Now this is a literal rebirth. And it is not symbolic at all. It is every bit as literal as if you did get a brand new body because Jesus called this a total remake, a total new birth that it's spoken of like that all over the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, and you are complete in Him. So you have everything when you have Christ and you're filled with God through your union with Christ. You have been given fullness in Christ. You have been filled by Him, the Holman translation said. Moffat 2, 9 and 10. is in Christ that the entire fullness of deity has settled bodily. It, It is in Him that you reach your full life. In other words, when you are born again, when I am born again, we are right then and there completely changed in spirit. And there is no more work to be done by God in your spirit, other than your spirit growing and developing. So I'm going to say three things throughout this series. Number one, your mission is to feed your spirit. Your mission is not to change your spirit. Only God can do that. God changes your spirit when you are born again. So your mission is not to change your spirit. That's what happens when you receive Christ. You get a changed spirit, and it's complete. In other words, you don't have to add to it. You don't have to put things in it. Uh, you, You don't have to attain to another level of righteousness. Think about this for a minute. As great as Billy Graham was, as great as the Apostle Paul was, the moment that anyone, the greatest sinner, receives Jesus Christ, the thief on the cross, the moment he received Christ, he was as righteous in the eyes of God as Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter Martin Luther, any other great believer. Because righteousness is righteousness. And we are made right with God the minute we're born again. It's a great work. You don't have to add to it. You grow your spirit, you renew your mind, and you control your body. And those are the three things you'll hear me saying a lot in this series. Now, there's no more redemptive work to be done in your spirit. There is a work of revelation but no need for further redemption. Now here's why. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21: 22, and I'm reading from 26 translations. I love this. For it is God who has confirmed our faith and your faith in Christ. And he has set his seal upon us. Doesn't wait till you've lived a great perfect life. He does it when you're born again. He sets a seal on you. And he gave us in our hearts the Spirit's security deposit. In other words, the Holy Spirit in us, in our spirits, is the earnest money that God puts down on the contract. Now, our contract didn't closed yet. It's going to close when Jesus returns and gives us a brand new body, then our contract will be complete. But right now, there is an earnest balance. I mean, there is a sum that God put down. And what what is the sum? What is the earnest money? It's the Holy Spirit. Now, if someone enters into a contract and does not complete the contract, what do they do? They lose their earnest money. And when you come to closing, if you are there and you are honoring the contract, you don't have to fork over the earnest money already. You already get full credit for what was put down. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in coming into us is already complete. It does not need to be added to. We have been given the earnest of the Holy Spirit. Now there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about that. But the Holy Spirit in your spirit to put the nature of Christ in you, you've got that when you receive Jesus. That is God's down payment on your deal, and He's going to finish your deal by giving you a brand new mind and a brand new body to go along with your brand new spirit. So earnest money is a part of this first great transaction, and we have that, and it's God's witness to us. Man, we have a wonderful gift, and if you don't fully appreciate it, I pray to God you do before we get out of this series because what we have is amazing. Well, that's all the time I've got for today, but we'll stop right here and we'll pick up at this point tomorrow, and don't you dare miss it. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people, so take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app,